0: You're listening to the living word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. we can fully rest in your truth. Yeah, yeah.
1: Like it or not. That's the path of growth in the Christian life. There is no other way. It's a daily self-denial, a daily cross. Colossians 3, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, put it to death. Sexual sin, etc., etc. etc. Put it to death. Gotta deny myself. Take up my cross every day. And if I'm not daily dying, I'm not growing. Simple as that.
0: There isn't a shortcut to greater faith there's no magic formula or quick fix. Instead, as Pastor Danny teaches today, the path to growing in your relationship with Christ is daily dying to yourself and taking up your cross. We've been gifted the Word of God to read, study, and peruse at our leisure. That's a huge blessing. The Word of God shouldn't be taken for granted, but should be cherished. Be in the Word, turn from sin, and grow deeper with Christ daily. There's no other way. It takes effort and desire on your part. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 2 Peter Chapter 1 for today's edition of The Living Word.
1: Second Peter chapter one. Grab your Bibles. Now, verse one, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who, through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life. And Godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires for this reason make every effort to add to your faith and then you have these virtues listed the first is goodness and to goodness knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, that's growth, okay, growth. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he's nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now very quickly. The benefits of life and godliness. It'll keep us from being ineffective and unproductive. We'll bear fruit as disciples of Jesus Christ. Second, it'll guard us against nearsightedness and blindness. Nearsightedness is simply we got caught up in the world. You got caught up in living for now and not for eternity. And because of that, you become spiritually blind. And you can truly be born again and become nearsighted, blind, forgetting that you've been cleansed from your past sins. You're not living for Christ. Then third, it'll make your calling and election sure. You won't be wondering, am I really saved? Am I really going to heaven? No, you'll know. You'll know that you are. You'll have that confidence. You'll have an assurance of a rich welcome when you get there into the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now, I understand anybody's going to be happy just to be there. But really, if you're really saved, you really know Christ, you don't want to get there and just have him say, well, you made it. No, no, no. I want to hear him say, welcome, good job, enter into the joys of thy Lord. I want to hear him say, good job. And I know you do too if you know him. And then we spent a little time, a little extra time, on this last one. It'll keep you from falling. And the one God used to pen this little epistle, uh, he knew failure, plural failure, repeatedly. Now, the first encounter, I read it last week from John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 42, of Jesus with Peter. Jesus says to Peter, now he's not Peter at the time. He said, you are Simon, son of John. That's your natural name, that was given to you, natural birth, coming into this world. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Rock, rock. You are Simon, son of John. That's your natural birth, that's the natural man. You will be rocky for me one day. But in order for that to happen, Simon, son of John, has to be dealt with. Now go back with me one more time to where we were last week in Matthew's gospel, chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed And on the third day, be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Amazing. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Another paraphrase would be, you're thinking and you're talking like Simon, son of John. You're thinking like a natural man. You're thinking like the man you were born. But you've been born again. You've got to start thinking differently and speaking differently. And then Jesus takes advantage of the situation, not only for Peter's sake, but for the other disciples. And here's what he says, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. Luke's record of Jesus' statement says that Jesus specifically said, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily. Daily. There is the struggle of the Christian life. It's daily. It's a daily battle. Paul the apostle said, I die Every day, I mean that, brothers. And the only way Paul became a rock for Jesus was by dying. Like it or not, that's the path of growth in the Christian life. There is no other way. It's a daily self-denial, a daily cross. Colossians 3, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, put it to death. Sexual sin, et cetera, etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Put it to death. Got to deny myself, take up my cross every day. And if I'm not daily dying, I'm not growing. Simple as that. Without death, denying self, no growth. So that's where it starts. Now our focus today is, especially on verses five through eight of 2 Peter chapter one. These virtues that we are to add To our faith. But before we look at them individually, let me just say this. There's great mystery in Christian growth. Mystery. What do I mean by that? The mystery of the Christian growth is this, of Christian growth is this. It is a work that only heaven can do. It's supernatural. Supernatural. And yet, it's a work that requires my cooperation. Let me say that again. It's a work that heaven does but it requires my cooperation one of the best little booklets i got early on in the ministry here our friend peter lord first time he came to speak years ago back in the old warehouse and he threw across the table where he was sitting with me this little book called the changed life it went out of print years ago we got permission to reprint it we had it changed from like kind of like king james version english to you know more niv or something like that but I'm telling you what, this is just one of the best little booklets. Let me just read you a little little sections of it. We are being transformed. We are changed. We do not change ourselves. No man can change himself. Throughout the New Testament, wherever these moral and spiritual transformations are described, the verbs are in the passive voice. Passive means not active, but acted upon, affected by an outside force. And then he quotes, and I will later, so I won't now, Romans Chapter 12 lists that. One little section I didn't cover last night that I, I went and read the whole booklet again this morning, early this morning, and I've read it, I don't know how many times. I don't know how many times. And one section I chose to bring today, the middle here, slowly the spell of his life deepens, talking about Christ. Area after area of their nature is overtaken, talking about the disciples. Thawed, subjected, sanctified. Their manners soften. Their words become more gentle, their conduct more unselfish. As swallows who have found a summer, as frozen buds the spring, their starved humanity burst into a fuller life. They do not know how it is, but they are different men. One day they find themselves like their master, going about and doing good. They don't understand their change, but they cannot do otherwise. The people who watch them know how to account for it. They have been, they whisper, with Jesus. Already the mark and seal of his character is upon them. They have been with Jesus. Unparalleled phenomenon that these poor fishermen should remind other men of Christ. Stupendous victory and mystery of regeneration that mortal men should suggest to the world God. And then near the end. Very important. He says, it may have seemed up to this point as if all depended on passivity. Let me now assert with intense conviction that all depends on activity. A religion of effortless adoration may be a religion for an angel, but never for a man. Not in the contemplative, but in the active, lies true hope. Not in rapture, but in reality, lies true life. Not in the realm of ideals, but among the tangible things is man's sanctification brought about. Resolution, effort, pain, self-crucifixion, agony. All the things already dismissed as futile in themselves must now be restored to office and a tenfold responsibility laid upon them. What is their job? To move the vast inertia of the soul, to place it and keep it where the spiritual forces, talking about the Holy Spirit, will act upon it. It is to rally the forces of the will and keep the surface of the mirror bright, always in position. It is to direct our gaze, our attention to Christ, and away from the influence and pull of the world. Amen. That's good stuff. Adding to our faith. And we have responsibility and heaven has responsibility. And it is no accident that the first virtue listed in 2 Peter chapter 1 to add to my faith is this one right here. Well, let me go back a minute. I'm old enough now I'm allowed to do these things. I forgot one little thing. So before we go on, let's say this one together come on with me everybody say it together but we all with unveiled unfail- face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the lord are being transformed into his image from glory to glory just as by the spirit of the Lord. Real simple little verse from Galatians says this, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's a work that God does but it it requires my cooperation. Let me tell you very quickly, 1st King of Israel, 1st Samuel tells the story. Spirit of God comes on Saul, King Saul, and it says he was changed into a different person. But if you continue to read the story, he didn't keep in step with the Spirit. He became self-centered, he set up a monument in his own honor, and he did not grow. As a matter of fact, he went the wrong direction, not the right direction. And his life ended tragically. He never grew because he never cooperated with what the Spirit wanted to do in his life. Now, first, virtue, to add to my faith. No accident this is the first one, is goodness. And the best definition of what that Greek word means is simply this. It is moral excellence, moral excellence. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse one says this, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Let me read you the context of that one verse. Second Corinthians chapter seven and the verses that lead up to this verse, here they go. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them, And be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I'll receive you. I'll be a father to you. And you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, let us purify ourselves. Moral excellence. John chapter 8 tells the story of an encounter with Jesus And a woman caught in the act of adultery and the Jewish leadership bring her to him and they do it to try to trap him. And he turns to all those who are are there and he says, okay, whoever's without sin, let him cast the first stone. Because they say the law says this woman should be stoned. What do you say? Okay, whoever's without sin, you cast the first stone. If you know the story, little by little, all those people walked away from the older ones to the younger ones because the older ones got more racked up. You know what I mean? Until it's just Jesus and this woman. I have no doubt she's weeping. Jesus says to her, woman, where are your accusers? She wipes the tears away when she finally gets a little focus. It's nobody but her and Jesus. And here's what Jesus says. Where are your accusers? They're gone. Neither Do I condemn you? Do not misunderstand that statement. He's not saying, ah, adultery, what's the big deal? (laughs) Neither do I condemn you. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. He came to pour out grace. He came to forgive. Neither do I condemn you. Now, leave your life of sin. You want the grace that I have to offer? You want to know me and follow me? Leave that adulterous lifestyle. Purify your life. I have no doubt, no doubt in my mind, the woman, another woman Jesus met, John chapter four, a Samaritan woman by a well at high noon. She's surprised that a Jew would have any conversation with her. He asked her for a drink. And then he says, if you knew who it was who asked you for the drink, you'd ask him for a drink and the water he would give you would be a well springing up to eternal life. And she says, oh, give me this water. He says, well, first go call your husband and then come back. She says, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right in saying you don't have a husband. You've had five, and the one you're living with is not your husband. I have no doubt I'm going to meet this woman in heaven. The Bible doesn't tell me that, but I have every conviction that this Samaritan woman, she goes back to her town, and she goes and begins to say, I met a man that told me everything I ever did. (laughs) I met a man that knows everything about me, and he knows I've been looking for love in all the wrong places. And it says the whole town came out to hear him and they believed not just because of her testimony but because of listening to him themselves. I believe I'm going to meet that woman and I have every assurance that once she became a follower of Jesus Christ, she cleaned up that living situation. She purified her life. I have no idea what it was that opened the door for a woman named Mary Magdalene to be possessed by seven demons. But she met Jesus one day and Jesus set her free. He became her deliverer. And I'll guarantee you, Mary Magdalene made some decisions that wouldn't allow that open door again for Satan to rob her and enslave her like he had for who knows how long. First stop on the way Into the promised land for the children of Israel. The Old Testament tells us the story was Jericho. And remember, the spies go into Jericho and they are housed while they're there by a woman named Rahab. She's a prostitute. She's a prostitute. But she hears about this God of Israel, she comes to believe in this God of Israel, she puts her faith in the God of Israel, and she is saved, literally, physically, from the judgment that comes upon the people of Jericho. And you better believe, when she left Jericho, and she left, not just geographically Jericho, she left the lifestyle. She left it, and she became part of the family of God. She would end up marrying a prince in Israel. And she would, if you read the New Testament record and the genealogy of Jesus Christ, she becomes the great, great grandmother of King David. And through her line comes Jesus the Christ. Oh, no. Rahab, she added to her faith in the God of Israel, she added moral excellence. She cleaned up her life. If you don't get this one, you'll never go any further. This is it. Hey, you'll never go any further without this one. Before we go to the next one, and I spent a lot of time on this one, but I think it's necessary. The Passover is an amazing feast that God established. And the New Testament Passover is uh, our communion service as believers whenever we come and take the bread and the cup. But the Passover meal instituted, they would slay the Passover lamb, they would apply the blood, and then they would have a meal. They would eat of the meat and partake. And it's so interesting because they would slay the Passover lamb and apply the blood at twilight in the evening. And immediately thereafter would begin the next day. The next day in the Jewish calendar would be 6 p.m. that evening. So you slay the Passover lamb, apply the blood, have the communal meal, and then immediately you entered into a second feast that was inseparable from the Passover feast. As a matter of fact, there are two. They're looked at as one. It's the feast of unleavened bread. And because now you've been delivered from Egypt, the world, and because you've applied the blood of the lamb to your life, the very natural next thing is you spend a whole week and all you do is look for leaven in your house. And leaven in the Bible represents sin all you do is begin to get the leaven out of your life that's moral excellence clean up your life since i became a christian there's certain movies i will not watch since i became a christian there's certain books i will not read there's certain magazines i will not take part in just won't do it won't do it sometimes places i'll avoid going because i know if i go there it won't be good the second is knowledge The word means a seeking to know, and it especially has to do with seeking for spiritual truth. Peter writes in 1 Peter, and he says, Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. He's talking about the word of God. Crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Romans 12 says, We're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Just verse after verse, Psalm 119, David wrote verse 11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Jesus, when tempted there in the wilderness by the devil, we have three recorded temptations, but there were more than that. But the three mentioned are because it was lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Those are the ones recorded because every sin falls under one of those categories. Every sin. And how did Jesus get victory over the devil there in the temptation in the wilderness? over the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Every time he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Some of us have heard this, have heard this, have heard this, have heard this. But if you've heard it and haven't applied it, hear it one more time. There's no way I'll grow, there's no way you'll grow in the Christian life apart from the word of God.
0: We're so thankful you tuned in for today's edition of The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. As we continue to learn from the book of 2 Peter together, we pray that this study challenges you to live a life more like Christ. Peter walked with Jesus for three years, and he had the opportunity to see firsthand what it means to live like Jesus. Aren't you glad we have his writings to help us grow in our faith? If you'd like to hear more teachings like this from Pastor Danny or hear today's message again, head on over to our website, ccfstpete.church. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to be notified when we post anything new. And if you're ever in or near the St. Petersburg area, we would love to meet you. At Calvary Chapel Fellowship, the church behind this ministry, we meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and again on Sundays at 9 or 11 a.m. It's an incredible time of worship and Bible study. You can find directions and more by going to our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. If you're unable to join us in person, we also offer a live stream of our weekend services. Just visit our website and click on the link in the menu. Pastor Danny has more to share from this series, so we hope you'll tune in again next time. We're glad to know that you're a part of our listening audience, and we're praying for you. We hope that you'll continue to tune in as we learn more from 2 Peter right here on The Living Word.